You are listening to John Diard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news and Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. In this episode, Dr. John talks heart health. Hi, my name is Dr. John Diard, and I want to talk to you today about a very special Ayurvedic fruit that when you grind it up and put it in a capsule, researchers are now calling it the perfect heart pill. And the reason why they call it the perfect heart pill is because it supports the health of the arteries, the lining of your arterial wall, the endothelium. The endothelium is so critically important because when that when the vessels contract and expand ever so gently, they're supporting proper blood pressure, proper blood flow, the, the driving of nutrition into the deep tissues, the supporting of oxygen flow. The arterial wall, the skin of your arteries, may in fact be the most important skin in the human body because its regulation and its control is critically important. And it's regulated by a chemical called nitric oxide. Nitric oxide was a molecule when they discovered it in 1998, I think it was. They discovered it and it won the Nobel Prize because of the amazing benefits that nitric oxide on healing and repairing a lot of tissues, but most importantly, the skin that lines your arteries. This fruit called amalaki or the amla fruit has been actually shown to increase the production of nitric oxide and help the nitric oxide regulate proper blood flow and really great health of the skin of your arterial wall. Now, of course, when I'm talking about skin, I'm always talking about the inner skin and the outer skin. We think about the arterial wall skin being the most important, but your intestinal tract comes, the skin on your intestinal tract comes a close second. The skin of your respiratory tract right behind that. And of course, we want to look good, so our outside skin is really important as well. And amalanki is a nerve that supports the health of all of that skin, but from the perspective of the heart, it really provides some interesting benefits. Studies have shown that amalaki uh, increases the, the, uh, the production of healthy cholesterol, so the good cholesterols are supported. It actually has protective, against, protective uh, support against the damage of stress that causes what's called oxidation and turns your good cholesterol into bad cholesterol, and amalaki supports that you know, really, really well. Amalaki suppresses, one study showed, and I have all the research in the article associated with this video, but one study showed that, that when people have cold hands and cold feet, it's a, it's a compromise in the quality of the, the endothelial skin to pump and release and contract and control the circulation of the very distal tissues of the body, which is your hands and feet. And people who were taking amalaki saw a significant improvement in the production of their skin. It's been shown to support the health of so many of the factors relating to health. Probably most importantly, its ability to protect us from stress. The, the, the ravages of stress, the oxidation, the breaking down of the body as a result of stress is very important. We talk about these herbs as antioxidants or adaptogens, herbs that help us adapt to stress. Amalaki is not an herb for the nervous system, but it's definitely what we call a physiological adaptogen. It helps the body cope with stress, and that's critically important. Please check out the article where I cite all this pretty brand new research on this amazing ancient fruit called Amalaki on my website at lifespa.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Diard. 
Hi, my name is Dr. John Diard, and I'm going to talk to you today about cholesterol, how to navigate the new science around cholesterol. If you haven't heard, lots of new studies being published showing that, you know, cholesterol is not a direct indicator of heart disease, as we've been told to believe for the last 60 years. Somehow, this was accepted by the scientific community, and studies for the last 20, 30, 40 years were basically done not on what would cause heart disease, but what would actually raise cholesterol. If it raised cholesterol, it was assumed that that would actually cause heart disease. Now we know that that science was flawed. In fact, some major studies, one by a Harvard researcher, Dr. Frank Hugh, took over 350,000 people and evaluated over 21 studies and found that whether you have the highest cholesterol or the lowest cholesterol, your cardiovascular incidence is exactly the same, that there's no difference. They found that people who have the highest cholesterol versus compared to people with the lowest cholesterol live longer. They're greater intelligence, better cognitive function, better memory as they age than people with the lowest levels of cholesterol. People with cholesterols uh, below 160 actually die a lot sooner than people with normal cholesterols or even high cholesterol. So it's kind of groundbreaking and shaking the building that we stand on. And uh, you know, another study that they did at the Lancet, all these are in, we did a whole series on cholesterol that I invite you to read and read all these articles and you're trying to get sort of caught up on, on what does it mean now with regard to cholesterol. In a study in the very prestigious journal, the Lancet, they measured people on a Mediterranean diet and a supervised low cholesterol diet. And the people on the, on the high cholesterol Mediterranean diet had died, they had a 70% reduction in deaths and a 76% reduction in cardiovascular deaths. So like, Ah, the saturated fats are back into a point. Um, we know it was the cover of Time magazine that butter is back. So we, we are getting lots and lots of media feedback that good fats are actually good for you and good fats are actually saturated fats that we need them. Saturated fats are good for one particular important reason. They're saturated, therefore they're more stable. They, you can heat them, you can cook with them, butter, ghee, coconut oil, you can cook with them, they don't break down. In your body, they don't break down. Unsaturated fats, which we've been told for all these years is really good for you, actually break down, degenerate, become exposed to free radical damage way more easily than the saturated fats. And that's sort of the, the general rule. Not to say we should overwhelm ourselves with good fats, we have done a really bang up job overwhelming ourselves with sugar. So before we can get good fats back into our system, we must, and I've been saying this for a long time, get rid of the bad fats, then we can increase the good fats. Get rid of the bad sugars, increase the good fats, get, and start to increase our activity and our exercise, and sort of begin to try to match ourselves up with uh, some of the uh, ancient human practices that were very active and had a lot of good fats. How do you, what do you do now about all this? Well, you can get a blood test called a VAP or a different type of particle analysis blood test where you actually uh, measure the size of the particles of your cholesterol. So the total cholesterol number now doesn't mean very much according to the new science, but your triglycerides actually are an indicator. If they are high, then that's a direct indicator of heart disease. And one of the really simple tests that you can do is take your triglyceride number, divide it by your HDL, your total HDL number. If that number is less than two, Good studies support the findings that that's an indicator of low 
or less or no insulin resistance, which is blood sugar issues. And it means that you have really good fluffy particles. So in your cholesterol, your LDL cholesterol and your HDL cholesterol, we always thought LDL is bad, HDL is good. Well, it's not really true. There's good LDLs and bad LDLs, and there's good HDLs and there's bad HDLs. It depends if they're big and fluffy, which means they can't you know, do a lot of damage, or they're really small and they can penetrate the arteries and cause a lot of problems. So you want big fluffy ones. And, um, and that, when you get a blood test, it means that you're looking at the particle A uh, pattern of, of cholesterol. That's kind of the, the, the critical piece of the puzzle. You want to be looking at the right type of particles. So you want to get a blood test that shows what type particles that you have and make sure you have big fluffy ones versus small ones. And by changing your diet, your exercise, you can actually begin to make adjustments to the kind of particles that you have. And that's where the new science is. And one way to do that with your old blood test is just pull them out, look at your triglycerides, divide it by your HDL. If you're under two, you've got a, you're in pretty, pretty good shape. Next time you go to your doctor, don't let them just do a regular screening of your cholesterol. Ask them for a particle test so you can see the size of your particles, and then you can get a whole lot more information of your cardiovascular status. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to talk to you today about a very important herb for the heart called Arjuna. It comes from the bark of a very tall 80 to 90 foot tree in India. The bark is a reddish color. And whenever you have these red constituents, you always think, is that going to be a lymphatic supporter? I've written much about the lymphatic system, and we always talk about anything that's red that's used traditionally as a dye would be a great lymphatic support. Berries and cherries and blueberries, great dyes, great lymphatic movers. There's an herb in Western herbology called red root, very phenomenal lymphatic mover, an herb called mengista. Rubia cordifolia means red root. Again, all these herbs that are reddish color, make your skin turn red, are gonna be great for the lymphatic system. Now in Ayurveda, we always think, get the lymph moving, get the cells to drain better so the blood can get in, the waste can get out, and the body can function. Ideally, always make sure the drains are open first is an Ayurvedic principle. Arjuna is a lymphatic mover, helps the heart detoxify better. Arjuna has been shown in studies that I cite in the article associated with this video to increase the strength of the muscular contractions of the heart, help the heart function more efficiently, move more blood in a more efficient manner, helps the arterial flow better. So it's a great herb to know about for the heart and the cardiovascular system. You know, when we think about uh, the heart, I always think of it as a big parking structure where, where your heart has to know what kind of stress is coming down the pike? Is it a bear chasing you? Is it a mouse chasing you? It can still freak you out. Or is it a rabbit? Hopefully that won't freak you out. And that would tell, and the heart would know how much blood to pump, how much of an emergency is coming down the pike. So the heart has to take on all this stress. And when it takes on all this stress, there's waste products of that stress that have to get flushed out through the heart or through the lymphatic channels. And if those lymphatic channels are blocked or lymphatic circulation is compromised, it's only gonna make the heart handle stress less efficiently. So the goal would be to help, again, like any other system, help the drains work better. Arjuna is great support for that. Uh, in one study, it showed that folks who had uh, severe limitation and discomfort on activities uh, were able to take 500 milligrams of Arjuna every eight hours for four months, 
and in just four months they were able to actually have that same or, or have normal levels of activity with only minimal limitations. So many studies have been done showing that Arjuna is phenomenally good for the heart. It's also unique because it doesn't seem to have any known interactions or side effects with other Western medicines. So it's really the, the perfect win-win situation where here's an herb that's going to, in studies show, that's going to help the Western medications work better. It also can work on its own. One to have a great respect for and one to know about for yourself or for folks who are having cardiovascular issues. Arjuna comes from the name of a very famous uh, Indian mythological warrior, Arjuna, who was known as the protector of the family and the protector of the society. And that's exactly what Arjuna does. It sort of protects the heart and keeps the body healthy and, and keeps the heart in good condition because obviously without a heart, we don't do so well. So anyway, take a look at the article that I wrote associated with this video where I go into a lot of the research on, on Arjuna and um, check out the website as well, lifespot.com for more information. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. John Diard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Diard, and I want to talk to you about why it's so important for us to eat our vegetables. I'm going to give you the top 10 reasons why vegetables are so important and what they do in your body. And I list them in the article associated with this video. So please go to that article and read all the top 10 reasons as to why those vegetables are so important and what they exactly do. I don't think that you've heard all these reasons. You know, one thing that I want to share with you is that in the animal kingdom, the gorilla has the digestive system most like us, and they eat half their body weight in ounces or in vegetables per day. That's a significant amount of vegetables. You know, experts say we should eat one to two pounds at least of vegetables per day, and very few people actually ever even come close to one or two pounds of vegetables a day, and they're so important. And here's a couple of reasons why. In your body, when you have cholesterol levels on the rise, and many of us are scared to death of our cholesterol, our LDL cholesterol, and when that cholesterol oxidizes, it damages the arteries, and then the arteries become damaged, and they try to heal themselves, and then pieces of that kind of healing response can actually break off and cause heart attack or strokes, and that's the big risk factor from high cholesterol. At least that's one of the major theories. So, so what we don't want is to have the fats in your bloodstream or in your body oxidize. Well, vegetables are our number one natural source of antioxidants in our diet. If you eat a ridiculous amount of vegetables, you create a ridiculous amount of antioxidants, which, which, which actually neutralize the oxidizing effect of the fats. So your LDL cholesterols won't oxidize in company with a significant amount of vegetables. Now, how good is that? The best way to lower your cholesterol is actually to eat a significant amount of vegetables. Another point about cholesterol, which you probably didn't know, is that cholesterol is escorted out of your body via the bile. The bile is made in your liver. The liver actually attaches, the bile attaches to the cholesterol, as well as other toxins as well, and it dumps it into the small intestine and out of the body. And it's escorted out with the company of cellulose, which is the major ingredient 
in your vegetables, lots of fiber. So when you eat lots of cellulose in your vegetables, that cholesterol and toxins are escorted out of your body very efficiently. But if you didn't get enough vegetables and there's not enough cellulose to escort that bile with the toxins and the cholesterol out of your body, up to 94% of that cholesterol and the bile gets reabsorbed back to your liver, into your blood, causing arterial damage and cardiovascular risk. So eat more vegetables actually provides protection against the cholesterol, the damage of your arteries, allows the, 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 the cholesterol and the bile and the toxic other toxins be, be flushed out of your system incredibly and efficiently. So amazing benefits of the, of the benefits of eating vegetables. Please go to the article associated with this video where I list all the rest of these amazing benefits of vegetables and let's take your vegetables serious because they may be the most important food on your plate. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard and I want to talk to you today about how to protect your arteries with vitamin K. There are two types of vitamin K, vitamin K1 and vitamin K2. Vitamin K1 is long known to coagulate the blood. It's the coagulation factor. It's found in green vegetables, and you don't need a lot of K1 to actually keep your blood at the right coagulation factor. However, you do need a lot of vitamin K1 to convert to K2. And vitamin K2 is well known to protect your heart and protect your arteries and um, reverse, in some studies, the calcification of the arteries or the plaque that builds up in your arteries. So vitamin K2 is extremely important to get in your diet. Now, so we either need to eat a lot more vegetables. If we were a gorilla, for example, they eat half their body weight in vegetables per day. That's a lot of vegetables. They eat a really pure diet. They probably get from that all the vegetables they eat plenty of vitamin K1 to convert to vitamin K2 and give all the protection they need for their arteries. We, on the other hand, don't eat anywhere near the vegetables that we should eat. We eat in a very toxic, we live in a very toxic world, and we eat uh, a very toxic diet. And therefore, many of us are at, at risk for cardiovascular disease and arterial damage. So from that perspective, we need to think about how can we get more vitamin K2? One, for sure, eat more leafy green and green vegetables. Two, eat a much more pure, less toxic diet. Get rid of the sugars, get rid of the sweets, get rid of the, the cooked oils and the processed foods. These are really important. Vitamin K2 also exists in, in uh, dairy products like cheese and uh, egg yolks and organ meats and fermented um, soy products like natto and very, very effective sources of vitamin K2. But even eating a lot of those foods are sometimes hard to do. We know that eating so many eggs or dairy products isn't necessarily good because there's a lot of fat in those foods. So that's not necessarily the solution either. So some people who are at cardiovascular risk need to make major changes in their diet for sure, but also look at the possibility of supplementing with a vitamin K2 supplement. Now in vitamin K2, there's many components, a couple of them very active, MK4, MK7. MK7 seems to be the most active vitamin K2 component that actually protects your arteries from damage, protects them from calcification, and actually in many studies shown to reverse the calcification or the increased plaque buildup on your arterial walls. Many things will damage your arteries. Sugar will damage your arteries. Stress will damage your arteries and create cholesterol levels to be rise. 
um, many factors that we have in our lifestyle, the toxic foods that we eat, raise cholesterol and therefore damage the arteries. So we have to look at things that we can do to protect ourselves. Please make dramatic changes in your diet. No more sweets, no more processed foods. Look to a diet that's you know, 80 to 90% whole foods and uh, fresh vegetables and whole grains as opposed to anything that's processed. And of course, if you have cardiovascular risk, think about uh, protecting your arteries with a vitamin K2 supplement called MK7. Please take a look at the article associated with this video. I cite all the research on MK7 and vitamin K2 and, um, and make sure you take those necessary steps to protect your heart, protect your arteries with a proper diet. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, I'm Dr. John Duyard and I want to talk to you today about calcium supplementation. The British Medical Journal did a recent meta-analysis of over 8,000 people and found that people who take 500 milligrams of calcium are at risk of heart attacks by 30%. It's a lot. Why and how could that be? We've all been told calcium supplement is really good for you. Well, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition has told us clearly in a 2007 study that foods are the best sources of calcium. Well, we just kind of sort of have always known that. And uh, people in China, for example, in the China study, they found out that they eat only 200 milligrams of calcium per day, and as they age, they have the best bone density. Their bones get stronger as they age. Ours get weaker. Why is that? How could that be? Well, you know, one of the things is that we know in that same study, in the clinical nutrition study, that when you add a good quality calcium supplement to the foods, then you have the best and the strongest bone density. So why is that? Well, perhaps that's because our minerals are depleted in the soil and we don't get the minerals and the calcium out of the soil the way we should. Now in nature, there isn't a calcium plant. There's, there's, those plants pull all the minerals out of the ground and with fulvic and humic acids, they convert them into a bioavailable source form usually attaching them with amino acids or glycolonutrients to make them bioavailable. So when the cow or the elephant or the moose eats these, these plants, they get tons of minerals and tons of calcium, way more than they would ever need. And this is the first time in the history of the world, in the West, that we've actually seen bone density issues. Now, why is that? Well, partially it's because we're supplementing ourselves with calcium that doesn't absorb. The number one source of calcium that doesn't absorb are the, the rocks, the shells, the, the calcium carbonates. They don't absorb well. And uh, they're oyster shells and, and egg shells and, and, and uh, limestone. So we want to avoid bone meal and these types of calcium. The, the calcium in your fortified milk and fortified orange juice are typically calcium carbonate. Make sure it's not that, because if it is that, then you're probably not going to absorb it. And that is the kind of calcium linked to the, to the increased heart attacks by 30%. And we don't want that. So what kind of calcium do we want to take? What is the good calcium? When they combine the good calcium with good foods, bone densities were the best, in fact. So the best calcium is when you have an array of minerals together, not a calcium supplement with just magnesium, but calcium with an array of minerals that's attached or bound to a, a carrier like an amino acid. This is how nature did it, and it works perfectly. Also, the other factors with making sure calcium absorbs is vitamin D. We have epidemic deficiencies of vitamin D in this country. Vitamin D carries the calcium out of your gut into your cells and makes it bioavailable. 
you don't have enough vitamin D, which we don't as a culture, that's another factor. So please read the articles associated with the video uh, on vitamin D. So make sure you optimize your vitamin D levels. Definitely make sure that's happening in the winter. And also in the article with this video, there's a list of all the foods that are rich in calcium and also rich in the other minerals. And make sure you're getting a good source of natural calcium. Because if you're gonna convert yourself from a calcium supplement to a food-based source of calcium, make sure you know where to get your calcium and your minerals from. And that list is in the article associated with this video. Now, a Dutch researcher did a research project and found that one of the reasons why we might have bone density issues as we age is because when you take lots that are caused by calcium supplementation, is that when you take lots of calcium, the body feels kind of like, oh my gosh, I gotta get rid of this, do something with this calcium. And what it does with that calcium is it stimulates the increased laying down of new bone. But for that to happen, it has to reabsorb some of the old bone so it can take the calcium and lay down new bone. And that's done with these osteoblasts. These osteoblasts lay down the new bone. Well, 70% of those osteoblasts die with each one of those bone-making cycles. So we have a, a limited number of those cycles that we can actually have in our lifetime. So as we age, those cycles start to slow down and we start to run out of these osteoblasts. So as a result, now we have a situation where we're still taking the calcium supplementation. I can't make the osteoblasts anymore. I don't have, the cycles are slowing down. So my bones become less dense. And that's why in the beginning, when you first take calcium, your bones become really dense because you increase the cycle of laying down new bone. Of course, you're gonna feel good. And the studies say calcium is the greatest thing. You know what? And it was, except for the fact that when these cycles slow down, we run the risk of osteoporosis as we age. That doesn't happen when you take dietary, botanical, natural sources of calcium. Interesting. But now the problems exist. What do you do with this calcium? Now that we're still taking calcium supplements like crazy, trying to lay down more bone, right, as we age? And the body can't lay it down. It doesn't have the osteoblast cycles intact the way it once did. So the body has to deposit this calcium in your arteries, in your heart, in your joints, in your brain. It's a thing called brain gravel, deposits in your joints, in your brain. Uh, calcium deposits in your brain. So we've kind of created a little bit of a problem with calcium. We, calcium supplementation has actually caused more problems than it's actually solved. So go to the article in this video, read about the calcium, the food sources of calcium. Understand about how vitamin D is so critically important in this process and understand, what, give, I give you some tips about some calcium, calcium supplementation and mineral supplements that actually do work. And the combination of the food and a good calcium supplement can be, at least according to the latest research, is the best way to go. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard and I want to talk to you today about coconut oil. You know, the coconut tree in India is considered the tree of life because it provides protection and nutrition and, and really basic survival um, for the Indian people. In Ayurvedic medicine, it's considered a medicine. The oil is considered the medicine. Well, you know, and there's literally now over 10,000 studies showing the therapeutic and medicinal benefits of coconut oil. But experts and medical doctors are very reluctant to jump on this bandwagon because 
Coconut oil is a saturated fat, which means that it's solid at room temperature. We've been told for 30 years that saturated fats are bad for your heart. Well, now there's so many studies showing that coconut oil is good for the heart. It's good for inflammation. It's good for the, for the blood sugar. It's good for the intestinal tract. It's good for so many things, but doctors are still reluctant to, uh, to recommend their patients to have coconut oil. The reason why is because coconut oil is a saturated fat. Well, there is another way of determining what kind of fat is good for you. There's the size of the fatty acid chain. There's short chain fatty acids and medium chain fatty acids, and there's long chain fatty acids. Well, 98% of the fats, the oils that we use in our cooking and our diet, the corn oil and the soy oil and the canola oil and the safflower oil and the sunflower oil, all those are, are, are long chain fatty acids. So those long chain fatty acids are very, very difficult to break down. And as a result, many times we don't break them down and we store them as triglycerides in the body and we never make energy with them. And that's where coconut oil comes in. Coconut oil is a medium chain fatty acid. Yes, it's saturated, but it's medium chain. It separates it from the rest. There's nothing like it in nature. And it actually delivers energy as fat as a stable source of fuel. You know, I'm so constantly talking about how we need to be better fat burners. Well, coconut oil is one of the oils that delivers our ability to be a good fat burner. The other oils don't burn as fat and they force us to depend more on sugar and we create high and lows and blood sugar and instability and prediabetes and all that. But coconut oil is something that protects the pancreas. It helps stabilize insulin levels. It has so many great studies. Matter of fact, in one major study in Oxford, England, they were talking about how coconut oil delivers an alternate fuel supply for people with Alzheimer's who are like diabetic in the brain. They have the inability to uptake sugar in their brain so they can't think and have clarity. And the coconut oil delivers energy with, through the form of ketones, which are broken down fats. And it's an alternative, more stable, natural supply of energy for the brain. It's such a phenomenal um, cooking oil, and I highly recommend that you cook with coconut oil. It's heat resistant, one of the only oils that is in fact heat resistant. The other oils aren't. I highly suggest that this is an oil that you think about eating. Uh, olive oil can be done on your salads at, in, at room temperature, but coconut oil is the one you should consider for any type of heating or cooking. Coconut oil has what's called lauric acid. It's an extremely rare uh, fatty acid that delivers a, a phenomenal amount of benefits. And in the article associated with the video, I list all the research studies, not all 10,000, but a significant number, a highlighted number of the studies done on coconut oil. You know, a lot of doctors say, the research is not in, I can't really say for sure about coconut oil. I hear and see that and read that all the time. Let me tell you, the research is in, it's now time we begin to look at this thousands of year old medicine that has been proven and time-tested. And now with modern research to boot, it's time we start looking at the benefits of coconut oil as a regular part of our diet. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Deere. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and today I want to talk to you about salt. You know, we've been told for many years that salt is bad for you. As you age, you should eat less of it. It's bad for your heart, bad for your blood pressure, bad for your circulation. But really, when you look at the studies which we've done in the article associated with this video, the studies don't support these recommendations that it's really valuable for us to eat a low-salt diet. In one study in the American Journal of Hypertension, they studied over 2,000 people. 
and they found no evidence to support that a low salt diet would actually decrease the risk of heart attack, stroke, or death. And that was with people with or without high blood pressure. In another study, a 2014 review from the Journal of American Medicine, a very prestigious journal, they found that when, that when people have a low salt diet, that it actually can increase the risk of heart disease. They also found in that study that that salt, a low salt diet will lower blood pressure, but just a little, one to four milligrams of mercury, so millimeters of mercury. So that means like if you have a blood pressure of 120 over 80, it might lower it from 120 to 119, or maybe from 120 to 116. It's not a huge difference. And there are other studies, many other studies, that show that when you actually have a low salt diet, that your blood pressure will increase. And some studies show that when you have a lot of salt in your diet, your blood pressure will actually decrease. So the whether it affects your blood pressure or not, it seems to be very controversial. And in one study, in the, in the Journal of American Medicine study, they found that it seems to be an individual thing. So the studies seem to be not really clear. So what I suggest to do is get a blood pressure cuff if you're worried about your blood pressure and your salt intake and take your blood pressure and eat salt, don't eat salt, and begin to see if you're sensitive to salt intake with regard to your blood pressure. This is what the Journal of American Medicine study actually said, is that we have individual sensitivity. So not a, not a bad idea to do that than to sort of stay in this place of limbo. We're really not sure one way or another. What's also interesting is that all these studies were done with regular refined salt that have, that have caking agents and all the other minerals have been boiled and depleted out of the salt. So it really renders the salt with only one electrolyte, sodium, sodium chloride. Now, sodium actually lives around your cell, all the cells in your body, in the intercellular, extracellular fluid. So what happens if you have lots of salt in your diet it can actually pull the potassium, which stays inside the cell, and pull it out of the cell, and actually create a level of dehydration of the cell that water will simply will not satisfy. So the idea traditionally was salt was, you know, was full of minerals, whether it be a Celtic sea salt, or a Himalayan pink salt, or Redmond salt from the brines of Utah, they all have 60 to 80 other minerals in them loaded with potassium and loaded with all the electrolytes and other minerals that you need in trace elements. So it's very important for us to have a really good salt that can help to replenish, depending on how much salt you've eaten and whether you're eating processed foods or chips or, or, or popcorn at the movie theater, you're really getting this refined salt, which actually has a very cellular dehydrating effect, which is not good for us. So we need to, in most cases, we need to stop the processed foods, get rid of the refined salt, add good quality salt to our diet, about a quarter of a teaspoon with lots of water per day is a good idea to help get you some mineral balance. And because we have this kind of epidemic of having so much of the refined salt in our diet for so long, many of us are somewhat depleted in potassium. So not a bad idea, and I write about this in the article, to have more potassium-rich foods in our diet. Ancient humans clearly had 10 to 15 to 20 times more potassium in their diet than we do today. So that's one of the sort of the screaming jump off the page deficiencies that we have as modern humans that ancient humans had. And those foods are like um, uh, beans, um, mushrooms, avocados, greens, yogurts, potatoes, root vegetables, squashes, 
Um, all of these things, bananas of course, all of these things have a lot of potassium in them and very important for us to begin to shift our diet to having more of these potassium rich foods, definitely much less of the refined uh, salts in our diet. And if you're going to have salt in your diet, which is a good idea to have whole salt, good salts in your diet as opposed to bad salts. And one other study that I think is interesting is that in Japan, they have a, a, some of the highest salt intake in the world. And people say that people who have that high salt intake, particularly in Japan, have a higher instance of stroke and heart disease. And they do. But studies have actually been unable to prove and connect the link between you know, Japan's uh, high uh, incidence of heart disease and their salt intake. And you got to remember that people in Japan live the longest. They're always at the top end, the highest level of longevity around the world. So, so um, a high salt diet hasn't been proven to really show us that there's risk of heart disease in many of the studies we're looking at. But if you're going to have salt, get good quality salt and definitely always be thinking because our culture and our diet is deficient in potassium-rich foods to get those potassium-rich foods. Go to my website, uh, read the article associated with this uh, video where I go into detail into this whole concept of salt and all the research behind it and the list of potassium-rich foods. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Muir. This recording is brought to you by LifeSpa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at LifeSpa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.